This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. It's the scripture reading for the fifth Sunday of Lent in the year C cycle of the lectionary. It happens to be one of the readings for April 3, 2022. In this story in John's Gospel, we have a contrast between generosity and greed and then ultimately grace. The generosity in this story really opens with how this story begins. This story in John 12 takes place in a city called Bethany, which is about two miles to the east from Jerusalem. It's six days before the Passover, so it indicates that at least in the story that John lays out of Jesus's passion and death and resurrection is that this is quite likely the Saturday night before Palm Sunday, as we would call it. So it's the Saturday night and it's after the end of the Sabbath. Remember, the Jewish Sabbath begins Friday at sunset and it concludes Saturday at sunset. So by the time this meal happens on Saturday, evening. It's after the conclusion of the Sabbath, so people are able to work and go about their duties as they would on the six days of the week outside of the Sabbath. And Jesus is at a dinner in Bethany, and it's offered in his honor. And it's hosted by Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now, what's not clear in the story is whether or not it occurs actually at Lazarus's home or anybody else's home. It just simply says it's at a house, but it's hosted by Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. This is the same Lazarus Jesus just raised from the dead in John's gospel. And he's there with uh, Mary and Martha, the two sisters. Now, this story is an interesting story from the fact that it is in all four gospels. Uh, You might be familiar with Luke's version of this story where Martha's working away in the kitchen and Mary is dutifully attending to her worshipful devotion to Jesus. That's not this story. It's the same event, but it's described from the perspective of, of John's storytelling. Now in John, everyone is sitting at the table. And by sitting at the table, they're not sitting in chairs, they're sitting on the floor. And the way one would sit at a meal is that all of the men would be gathered at the table, women were not seated with them. And they would sit usually on their left side with their left thigh and a rear end on the ground and they'd be leaning on their left arm, usually on a pillow. And so as they sat on the floor, their arm would be on the pillow, left arm. They would be sitting on their left thigh, and their legs would extend behind them, not in front of them. Behind them, not in front of them, with their knees bent and their legs behind them. So they could sit on their side, weight being their weight being assisted by their left arm resting on a pillow, and they would use their right hand to reach onto the table to take food. It's in this setting that we find... Uh, Uh, Mary, who brings this jar or a container of what's called nard. Now, this container usually contained about 11 ounces and a flask or a jar. And this particular nard or perfume was very costly. It said its values were 300 denarii. Now, denarii isn't actually a a true measure of currency. A denarii is a description of of a day's wage that someone would get paid for working in a field or a domestic servant of some kind. So 300 denarii is roughly equivalent to a year's worth of work. 
Now, this nard or this perfume is likely formed from an Indian flower and actually its root. Uh, think of something akin to like a ginger root, but a, a different kind of plant altogether, but that the fragrance of the plant is in its root, not so much in the actual stem of the flower. It's very fragrant. Now, who knows how Mary came to have this ointment? We don't know how she got it. Hers, she owned it. She may maybe keeping it for a particular occasion. It could have been somebody else's. We have no idea where the nard came from, but Mary has it. And it is of incredible value. A year's worth of wages is what this nard is worth. And it's stored in a bottle that doesn't have a stopper or a cap in it. Rather, it has a narrow neck on the top of this little flask. Oftentimes, it was made out of alabaster. And to open the, the nard, um, Mary would have snapped the neck of it off. So when you basically open it for the first time, uh, it's, it's like uh, setting off a timed bomb. It's like you have to use it within a certain amount of time before it goes rancid because you've exposed it to oxygen because there's no stopper to put back in it. So she would have snapped the neck of the flask and she would have began to use it. So when you open the nard, it's a, it's a sign of commitment that once it's opened, there's no going back. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And so then she brings this gift. She approaches from behind because remember how they're seated at the table is all the men are at the table and her feet and G, I'm sorry, Jesus's feet are behind him. So she comes from behind and she pours the oil over his feet and wipes them with her hair. The, the cultural significance of this moment is so powerful and so important. There's no mention of how she gained access to the room without being a server. You know, typically the only time women would have been in this room is when they were bringing food in and out of the room. So how she got in the room, we don't know. We know she gets into the room with her hair down. And uh, in the Semitic culture, having your hair down is not an appropriate way for you to appear in public or in front of another group of people. Uh, there were oftentimes... Uh, uh, it was scrupulous behavior in the ancient world to have your hair down in public. So John's meaning here is quite clear, that she's anointing Jesus's feet with the nard, which would also be an ointment used for anointing a body for its burial, that she's anointing Jesus prior to his death. And what John means to say is what Mary has done here quite likely, likely signifies that she's the only one who gets it. She's the only one who understands, perhaps, what Jesus is about to do on this day before Palm Sunday. It reveals a, a key passageway about Mary's deep devotion, and it's this, is that a truly generous heart is unbridled. You know, this story is about devotion and about love. Mary's affection and thanksgiving for Jesus overflows this is a nuance about this story that we cannot miss. The value, the devotion, and even the defiance of the social structures and culture of her day cannot stop her from her great act of generosity. Her heart is poured out before Jesus as this act of generosity. Martha has her act. Lazarus has his act. But this story tells us only about Mary's act of devotion, that she signifies for us something important, that our relationship with Jesus is no transaction. It's not an ideology. It's one of deep love. When she 
connects with that reality of gratitude, it becomes a powerful and poignant moment in that room. And when we connect with that reality, the reality of gratitude, then, and perhaps only then, do we begin to understand a generosity that has no limits. Now, in contrast to Mary's great act of generosity born out of her love and devotion for Jesus, we have Judas and his experience of the event. Now, at this dinner that's being hosted by Lazarus, we have no idea how many people there are at the table. All we know is that Judas is there. Now, in John's gospel, more than any of the other gospels, Judas is vilified. He is an agent of the devil. And John doesn't even blink about painting Judas in the most negative light possible. So when Judas sees this extravagant act, he is incensed by it because he knows that the perfume was very costly. And so John goes to links to tell us that Judas wanted the, the perfume sold so they could put the money in the treasury. In other words, the, you know, he held the money bag for the disciples and then he would steal from it. So Judas feigns care for the poor so that the perfume could have been liquidated into money that he could steal. He sees the gift of what Mary has offered as a means to an end. And the end in this, the end he articulates is that it would serve the poor. But the end he has in mind is that, well, some of it might serve the poor, but some of it's going to serve me. But Mary sees her gift as an end in and of itself. It's on this truth that the story kind of pivots back and forth between her generosity and this greed that's exemplified by Judas. The contrast here is between the do-gooding of Jesus and Jesus himself. Mary's motive is clear. Judas's motive, well, that is clearly mixed. This opens up a key passageway for us that we need to see in this story very, very clearly. That devotion defies economics. You know, Judas's greed embodies itself in service to the poor. His is a deception. And as such, it's devoid of devotion. Well, it has devotion, but it's devotion only to himself. You see, greed... Greed frames itself in relationship to self. It's the opposite of gratitude and generosity. You know, for this reason, giving, tithing, emptying economically make no sense at all. And for us as followers of Jesus, we need to look at this story carefully. Generosity is our counterculture move. It's the behavior and practice that many followers of Jesus have steered clear from. But yet in our world and in the culture in which we exist, generosity is a move that would, would make us so distinct and bizarre to the rest of this world that our witness for Christ would stand out. Too many of us, too many of us live our faith in God like Judas. It's all about that which we get from God what we get from Jesus. It's not about what we give. Well, Jesus concludes this story with a lesson for us on grace. 
he reframes the contrast going on here. John has lifted up Mary and Judas as the polar opposites of each other in this story. That Mary is the person that we need to model and follow in the story. And Judas is the one who provides warning to us. And Jesus reframes this episode. He rebukes Judas's greed and he affirms Mary's generosity that flows from her gratitude. He issues a stark rebuke at the table according to John. Leave her alone, Jesus says. She, you see, Jesus recognizes the act of generosity that's been dispensed on him. And Mary recognizes Jesus's act of generosity in his coming death and resurrection for which she is anointing him. You see, generosity and gratitude create a vision so that Mary can see Jesus and Jesus can see her. They recognize each other in this moment. One can see the other, but Judas, Judas can see neither. You see, this is an enduring vision of grace from Jesus. It allows Mary to see him. She sees him through the lens of gratitude and generosity in the same way he sees her. So that Jesus then speaks of the poor and he says, the poor you'll always have with you. He's citing a passage of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, actually. And then he speaks of himself. So as Mary is questioned by Judas, Jesus defends her and her gift as a realization of who he is and what he will do. Jesus tells, some, tells us something important in this story about the poor, that care for the poor flows through a devotion to Jesus. Not around it, not in opposition to it, but through it. This is the key. Jesus says, we always have the poor. That's the citation from Deuteronomy. Jesus is saying there's always capacity to act. Even sinners can do this. But yet, Jesus says, you do not always have me. And what Mary has here is a deepened awareness of the cosmic stakes of the moment. And what we begin to understand is that if we have the kind of devotion like Mary has, if we embrace this life of grace and a vision in which we can see generosity and gratitude, how many more of the poor could possibly be served in Jesus' name? What would happen by a group of people who are so gripped by generosity and gratitude and grace, how many of the poor would be served then instead of serving the poor because they're poor? Jesus is inviting us into a reflection about the, the deepest motivations that drive us. And that's the key passageway here for us. Grace. Grace gives us eyes to see gratitude and generosity everywhere. Just as Jesus and Mary could see each other clearly, generosity is often seen in our world as a mathematical subtraction. It's a lessening, a weakening. I had $100, I gave 10 away, now I only have 90. Grace gives us the capacity to see gifts and graces in a deeper way. We gain a vision, we begin to see cycles of gratitude and generosity and more gratitude and more generosity and even more gratitude and more generosity that flows out of a sense of love and devotion. It's what Judas lacks, and it's what Mary has in abundance. This, this is a glorious episode that separate those who see our faith as a religion and a transaction 
from those who understand clearly that ours is a religion of relationship. We are reminded always to see life through a vision of grace. And when we do that, when we live out of that love relationship with Jesus, we will have eyes to see gratitude and generosity everywhere. And it's that work, that work of love, that Jesus invites us into every day. And Mary is our role model. That's it for this week. I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.